This is episode 007 with James Simpson. We are supported by Mammoth Fuel. Mammoth Fuel Bars were created with people like you in mind using only natural ingredients and zero artificial junk. We took no shortcuts in developing this highly functional and portable fuel bar. What are the benefits, you may ask? Portable on-the-go fuel, post-workout recovery, boost cognitive function, aids in weight loss, anti-inflammatory, and low sugar. With 13 grams of protein and only 4 net carbs, Mammoth Fuel is the perfect meal, snack, and energy bar where you'd like to go. Try Mammoth Fuel at mammothfuel.com. Welcome to the new normal, where we're talking current events, finances, philosophy, preparedness, and more. My name is Sal, and with me as always is my good friend, Quentin. Each week we dive into those various topics and bring you an inspiring person or message to navigate the world with a positive mindset in this new normal. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Now, here we go. Welcome to the show. We've got a great guest tonight, Quentin, Mr. James Simpson. He is running for Congress. He is an awesome speaker. He is an awesome author. One of his books that you can check out is The Red Ring Access 2.0, An Existential Threat to America and the World. Our good friend, friend of the show, Mr. Jim Simpson. Welcome. How are you? Hey, Sal. Great to be with you. Quentin, great to be with you. Thanks for having Always me. Always a pleasure. We, we are honored to have a congressional candidate with us. This is amazing. We are, uh, I was telling Quinton today, our, our show is spreading like the virus. <laughs> we, we're already. Well, it could be good. Well, <laughs> it could. Well, it just doesn't kill anybody. Exactly. We're going to kill him with kindness. So we've got yeah, a lot. To, we've, we've definitely got a lot to talk about. Um, I know your your area of expertise uh, in the geopolitical spectrum um, covers some of the groundbreaking uh, situations that have been happening with the immigration policies. Um, you actually just a little bit of background for our listeners. You helped with a campaign that Quentin and his father and I were doing here locally when we were trying to defeat a, an industrial slaughterhouse from coming to our small rural community. So you presented some amazing statistics and some amazing facts that I think really opened the eyes of the community. Uh, you're also responsible for the, pr- pronounce this for me, is it Col- Collard Piven Manufactured Crisis Strategy? Cloward Piven Manufactured Crisis Strategy. I, I didn't uh, come up with it, uh, but but I probably made it famous. That's good. So I know you have a lot on your mind. You've got a lot of things that, you know, obviously we can get into the coronavirus and the effects. Um, sure. You know, right now the, the news cycle is actually pretty slow. The news cycle yeah. is pretty repetitive. And I don't know, I think the news itself is, is in a standstill of what's next. We're all just kind of waiting. The, the states are starting to open up. The people who are for going out and opening businesses are, are gung-ho and out there. And then you've got a section of the population that's just kind of sitting back and waiting and doing the whole, we'll wait and see, we'll wait and see. So it almost feels like the the news media is doing that. We can obviously dive into the coronavirus and its origins and 
you know, a month ago, we would have been laughed at for even thinking and consider uh, the origins of, of the coronavirus coming from China or even a laboratory in China. Um, so I know those are those are some definite topics, but I definitely want to start with your congressional race and how you came about wanting to run for Congress. What what was the precipice of you wanting to um, take that courageous step into running for office? Well, well, thanks. Thanks, Sal. Thanks for that introduction. Um, you know, I live here in Maryland and I raised my children here. I went to school here and uh, it's a beautiful place. And I have lots of very, very good friends. And you know what it's like. You uh, build relationships in a community and you like the surroundings, the the hills and the streams and the water, everything in Maryland is beautiful. But the state, I call it California East. It's being destroyed by the radical left policies. They have a supermajority in the state legislature. And even though they uh, alternate between Republican and Democrat uh, governorships, um, the state legislature controls everything. And that's pretty much the same with the uh, Congress, both houses of Congress are two Democratic senators who have been there since God left Chicago. And there are a scad of Democrat uh, House members. And they have gerrymandered the state so badly that every district looks like a salamander that was run over by a Mack truck. I mean, they go everywhere. And it's impossible to get anything constructive done. You know, we lived for a while in Baltimore City, and I used to uh, walk my dog at midnight. And, you know, if I walked three blocks in the wrong direction, I'd be taking my life in my hands. Um, and we had one, one, uh, building on our block and all the houses were connected right they're all old uh, federal uh, brick uh, buildings all interconnected and this one house had been condemned and uh but baltimore city has a squatter's law so anybody that um, occupies a building like that can't be thrown out for 30 days no matter what well a purse snatcher occupied that place. And I used to chase him into that building at night. He'd be walking around and I'd just follow him around to see what he was doing. And uh, he would run into that building and I certainly wasn't gonna follow him in there. Too many places to be ambushed. But uh, we would sit in the uh, building next door and look down into the kitchen where he was sitting on the floor cooking with sterno stove. Now, he, he was a addict and he was a purse snatcher. If he had caught fire to that building, the entire block would have gone up in five minutes. And I mean, that's just typical. And as you all know, uh, Baltimore has third world murder rates. And Maryland itself is a sanctuary state. MS-13 is infiltrating into my district, it's infiltrating into suburban neighborhoods, and they're committing murders there like they do everywhere else. And my opponent, Dutch Ruppersberger, 
was asked at a town hall what we should do about MS-13. And he said, oh, you should open your doors and welcome them into your house, welcome them into your home, welcome them into your hearts. And this was shortly after Nancy Pelosi had said almost the identical thing. And he's just a rubber stamp for Nancy Pelosi and they are destroying the state. Their people are bleeding out of the state. Many of my friends have moved out because they can't take the high taxes. They can't take the smothering regulations. They can't take the crime. And so, uh, and, and as you know, I have spoken around the country on all these issues. And increasingly, I find that we just can't talk because we are uh, shut out of meetings. We're attacked and threatened by Antifa types, uh, the Google and Facebook and Twitter uh, censor what we say, they manipulate search results, you just can't get your word in. And you know, our country was based on the rule of law and it has the Bill of Rights, which are rights we are all entitled to. And the most important one is the First Amendment. And they have been aggressively trying to silence that, prevent us from talking, and it's not because we have anything uh, uh, objectionable to say. It's because we are telling the truth. We are exposing what's going on there. And they don't want the American people to know what the truth is. And I felt I had to step up my game. I had to step into this, if only to use it as a vehicle to uh, reach more people uh, with what I have to say. And 2020 is the most important election in our lifetimes. It may be the most important election in this country because it's going to determine whether we remain a free nation or if we choose the Democrat route, take the increasingly accelerating slide towards socialism with communism being the end point. And I do not want my children to have to face that and I couldn't face looking at my children knowing that I didn't do everything I possibly could in whatever capacity to prevent that from happening. And that's motivated me for the last 18 years in my writing, in my speaking, in my activism, and it is motivating me to run for the US Congress. How is the message being received with, with that platform in that area? Are you seeing a groundswell, a grassroots effort that's supporting that campaign and, and that change that you're trying to evoke in that community? To, well, we have a primary and I have six uh, opponents in the primary and I have, I've gotten support from Maryland. I've gotten support from all over the country. And in fact, let me share my campaign website with you if, uh, if that's okay. Here's my campaign website. You all can see that, I assume, on your screen. Yes, we can. Uh, okay. So here, uh, for example, are some of the endorsements uh, that I've gotten. Chris Kobach, who was the uh, Secretary of State uh, for Kansas, and, and for those of you who are listening to the podcast, it, we are watching Jim present his 
his website. If you're interested in going to, it is jimsimpsonforcongress.com. We're going to have that again at the end of the show. Go ahead, Jim. Sorry. Thank you. So I've got a lot of uh, Honorable Ken Blackwell, UN Ambassador to the UN for Human Rights, uh, former Secretary of State of Ohio, Ken Timmerman, brilliant man, a uh, former congressional candidate, author, uh, national security specialist, uh, Lieutenant General Thomas McInerney, um, Bishop E.W. Jackson, who also ran for Lieutenant Governor in Virginia, uh, Kevin Freeman, you might know, he's out of Dallas, he has the economic war room, brilliant guy, friend of mine, Major General Paul Dowley, and I just got an endorsement. I think one of my proudest endorsements is from Special Operations Speaks. Uh, Lieutenant uh, Colonel Ken Benway is its chief, but I got an endorsement from the entire organization. Claire Lopez, uh, National Security Specialist, Diana West, Trevor Loudon, you may know Trevor, uh, J. Michael Waller, one of my colleagues at the Center for Security Policy. Uh, David Kadria, who is a very well-known gun rights activist, and many others. Um, one thing I wanted to talk about, I've been doing a lot of writing, and here's my blog. Let's see if we can get that up there. Yeah, and we did a webinar, as you know, last uh, Thursday night, and on that webinar were uh, Sheriff Richard Mack, who has also endorsed my campaign, a local Sheriff here, Chuck Jenkins, who goes before Congress on a regular basis to talk about the illegal alien issues in uh, Maryland, uh, and many other uh, notable guests. And that was a really important webinar. I urge your viewers to watch that. Um, it really was a great webinar. I had a chance to sit in on that and, and watch it and then do the replay. I think the most fascinating thing from that webinar that I personally took out of it was the Restart Economy Now website, the application that uh, one of your guests was going over and, and giving the review. It was very well done. I shared it on our yeah. Facebook. I shared it on a couple of different platforms. And it really just highlighted the consequences of not restarting the economy right now, right? So it gives you a very grim look at not only just the economic impact, but they've also included the increased suicides as a result to the, the economic impacts of this uh, shutdown. So if you're interested yeah, in that- The economic, the job losses, um, and it evaluates each state by county by county. So you can look at the uh, risk factors in reopening the economy of a given county versus the uh, <clears throat> versus the the cost on many dimensions of remaining shut down. And for example, uh, my guest, the, the the creator actually of that um, tool said that in many counties, there are more people who have committed suicide because of this lockdown and being thrown out of work than there are actually cases in the county. 
And there are all kinds of factors like that that we just don't consider. We're not looking at the other side of the equation. I have a friend who went to the hospital because he had heart failure and he was going to get a stint. And he, he was uh, admitted to the hospital. He was there for a little bit. And then they told him to go home because it was an elective surgery. And he said to me, so Jim, I'm sitting at home waiting to die. Meanwhile, the abortion clinics are open and the <laughs> marijuana dispensaries are open. Those are all essential services. But me getting a life-saving stint is not. And those are the kind of insane things we have going on here. We have uh, hospitals letting huge numbers of their staff go because they have huge numbers of empty beds because the only kinds of patients they're treating are COVID patients. And that's just flat out insane. How many people, uh, how many women suffering with breast cancer who are supposed to get a, uh, uh, um, an operation have to put that off and in the meantime, that cancer metastasizes. You know, how many routine checkups are we missing that would have found some dangerous or fatal illness, which is going to hit us before we have a chance to go back to the doctor? So these kinds of factors are really not being considered by the decision makers. And this uh, tool focuses your attention on all those various risk factors. And if you want, actually, I will pull up that, uh, let's see if I can find it. I'll pull up that, that restart. Yeah, it's restartnow.io. Yeah, no, I, I know, I have it. I just, because uh, it's still screen share. So let's go to Texas, okay? So here's the economic loss so far. Texas has lost $104.8 billion and 1,500,000 jobs lost. And this chart here shows the cost, the daily cost, if you shut down now versus if you shut down later. It's, it's crazy. Now you go down a little bit here and go to the different counties. So let's look at. Uh, Anderson County here. It has a low COVID risks. And let's look at the factors that comprise that COVID risk. We have um, population density. You have work interactivity, which means that, you know, if it, for example, was like a town that had a slaughterhouse, like the one that we defeated, thankfully, uh, there would be high work interactivity because you have hundreds of people packed together in a small place working side by side. And that's why many of these rural counties that have packing plants uh, are now facing crises. But, for the mo but if the work interactivity is low, and according to this, there's only 2,900 people of a population of 57,000, that have high work interactivity, so they have a low uh, index. And they have a precondition index that evaluates the health risk based on various um, health factors that are publicized about the county. 
They have an age 60 plus index. And uh, so if that's if there are a lot of retirees living there, it's going to be a high index. In this case, it's a low index. And then you have smoking risk. All these factors are combined to uh, calculate the uh, relative risk of opening up. And in Anderson County, that risk is low. Meanwhile, if you look over on the right-hand side, and let me see if I can move this, the economic impact for Anderson County is $110.5 million. So most of these rural counties or, or smaller communities that have a low risk are the ones that are suffering the most because they have one or a few um, businesses or industries that keep everybody employed. Whereas if you go to a bigger city, you know, Houston or Dallas or um, Austin or something, you have a huge number of um, companies and places for people to work. So, in, so the economic impact in those relatively higher risk communities is nowhere near as high. So the point is, you could open up a lot of these low-risk communities. And if you go up here, it shows you uh, counties by COVID risk on the right-hand side. High-risk counties are 13 of Texas's counties, and Texas has over 200 counties. So it's a tiny number that are actually high-risk. Three-quarters of them are low-risk, and, and another 50 uh, another quarter are uh, uh, medium risk. So low risk, you could open today. Medium risk, you could probably open today. And the high risk communities, you take a, you're a little more, bit more careful about. But this is the power of this tool. And uh, he's um, created a tool for 18 states so far, and he's working on it every day to get more states put up there. It's, but it's really a powerful tool, and it should be shared widely it's incredibly thorough and there's even a feature where there's a bright green button that says turn on the economy and then it will essentially inverse those numbers and give you the projections and we've seen a lot of the flatten the curve and these crazy astronomical projections when it comes to the uh, coronavirus itself but here we're talking about the economy and yep. the astronomical impacts that it's having again we live in a rural community that has had a very low, almost insignificant amount, I hate to use that word, but comparatively speaking to, to a larger population. And the economic impact you can just see just using the example of Anderson, who has a very low risk, who has a very low threshold of, of population. We have a very older community here. Yep. And you can start to see that the economic impacts are, are already starting to take effect. Yeah, it's 21,000 people. It has a very low risk, no uh, cases, no deaths, and yet it's lost $18.7 million from this shutdown. So these are incredible. These are, this is an incredible tool, and it should urge any um, halfway sane legislator or local leader um, to take the risk of opening up and getting people back to work so that the, the consequences 
aren't devastating. Uh, here's the suicide risk factor. It's kind of hard to read. They have a rate per 100,000, the increased rate in Anderson County, there's nine uh, suicides so far, and there are zero deaths and 29 cases in Anderson County. So while there have been 29 cases and zero deaths, there have been nine, well, I guess that's, there have been nine suicides in that county that are, uh, that have happened this year. Are they relating those suicides to the yes, shutdown? Yes, they are. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yes. So the, are they are they pulling data that is, I guess, differentiating the fact that you know a suicide by just someone having yeah, a really I bad mean, day? Yeah, I mean, you know, it, 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 I don't I don't know precisely how they um, calculate that, uh, <clears throat> but they do calculate that. Great. And it's a very, one, it's they, a very they, thorough yeah. tool. It's a very thorough yeah. tool. Yeah. Restartnow.io yeah. is the website. Yeah. I will say this. <clears throat> when I was in law enforcement, um, saw a lot of deaths, but uh, most of them were suicide. And uh, Texas is actually, you know, there's places that make quite a lot of money in Texas, but most of rural Texas is quite poor and jobs are actually quite scarce. It yeah. has a similar problem to like... Um, I don't know, rural, rural West Virginia or Pennsylvania. It's, it's really, really similar with meth and opiate abuse. And, um, but right. so many deaths of despair because there was already a jobs crisis, right? There, there was already, add, uh, there, right. there was then already a move out of the rural of areas. That. Yeah. And, and, and you've just, you know, you've spiked it. You've and I mean, the problems. Yeah. One of the, counties I worked for, literally the number one cause of death for a time was suicide. Wow. You know, I mean, it, it, it's just unreal. Wow. And I, I mean, that's horrible. Th th this is, yeah, I mean, th this is, this is such a problem because, you know, for whatever reason you, you know, you, you'll get COVID if you go to your local dry goods store, but you won't in Walmart. And it's just, it's mind blowing to yes. me that this has been allowed to happen. Right. You you can go to Walmart and buy a flat screen TV, but you can't yeah. go to Best Buy and buy a flat screen TV. That's essential. How are they going to anesthetize you if you're not plugged into the tube all day? Yeah. <laughs> and we had a really great conversation, Jim, with one of our previous guests, uh, Myron Bauman. And we, we did a deep dive essentially on the effects of this and the economy and how the government and, and even big box retailer are hand in hand picking and choosing the winners and the losers and how something like a Walmart or a big retail chain who is selling essential goods using air quotes there um, are, are allowed to stay open, even though their essential goods, quote unquote, are make up what less than 30% of what they're actually selling. And yet the small business mom and pop who can't even open up because they've been deemed unessential yeah. uh, can't compete. And, and it's the death of small America or small business in America. And we, we're being told that the big box retailers are, are our new saviors. We, we had an interesting conversation after our show where we said at, at worst case scenario, we're going to end up in a Mad Max situation. Best case scenario, we're going to end up in a Wally situation. 
where we've got the by and large and we're all just sipping on you know the the sponsored flavored soda of the week and we're <laughs> and we're just being hovered around it and catered to a through technology and the democrats will facilitate that and they already have by boosting and it was really unfortunate that the republicans allowed them get, to get away with doubling the unemployment compensation that people got from what they would uh, have otherwise gotten, which makes which kills any incentive for them to go back to work. And now they want it, to it makes it much less likely people would demand person. Pardon? Yeah. Well, it's it just makes it much less likely that anybody will demand change and that and, and that uh, the policies in Washington will trickle down and actually have an effect on their life because they're just going to, you know, I mean, be complacent because, you know, their needs are met by the state for exactly. now. I mean, exactly. it, helicopter money has a disastrous effect in the long term. It's, yeah, it's never exactly. worked out for anyone. Yeah. Nope. We've seen the unintended consequences of this. There was a story that we published or we shared rather a couple of weeks ago when this was first being announced with the stimulus packages that an employer was actually getting chewed out by her employees because if she asked them to come back to work, they would actually make less money. Yes. That's than what they were making. That's what that's the point I was making. It's crazy. Nancy Pelosi Democrats rigged the system that way, both to keep people out of work, to uh, ruin the Trump economy, make them dependent on government, and make them appreciative of the Democrats in the run-up to 2020 election. I mean, this well, is all just for you, scandalous, shameless self-promotion in the middle of a crisis on the on the part of the Democrats. And it's a disgrace. And it's a disgrace that the Republicans let them put that in there. And it's very unfortunate that President Trump, despite the great job he's trying to do, uh, signed that bill with that provision in it because and now he was they're, they're trying to do it again. Yeah, I have a question for you. This is uh, this is. This is peripherally on topic, I suppose. So you got the old dog Democrats. They're, they're really, you know, their time is very limited and you've got the squad, right? They're, they're up and coming. All of the basis of neoliberal, neoliberalism, uh, you know, comes out of the Frankfurt school and, you know, uh, the, the Menshevik Trotskyite sect of uh, the, 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 uh, Soviet Union communists or yeah, pre-Soviet Union. Really, but basically yeah. the, the October Revolution, you had the two factions, Bolshevism and, and Menshevism. And really we had some sort of hybrid Bolshevik, Menshevik faction that came to the United States. And, you know, they had torchbearers through time with, uh, you know, Ignatiev and you had uh, Adorno before that. And then you had, you know, Alinsky in the 60s. And then Sanders just kind of carried that torch. The squad is kind of interesting to me because they're so historically unaware. Like, I actually just think that they're they're agitators, kind of, you know, useful idiots. They're not really uh, democratic socialist ideologues. Like, I would definitely say that Bernie Sanders is a, 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 a real torch carrier, or carrier for Trotskyism. For sure, yeah. It, it, this, this slide has never been about uh, social safety nets. I mean, uh, be, just because who it, it's not like we have socially conservative people pushing this and Trotskyism was never a socially conservative model. It's always been globalist socialist. Uh, whereas like you can say, you know, Stalin was a really bad guy, but he was a socialism in one country by policy announced policy anyway. Uh, whereas Trotskyism has always been a globalist 
effort to dominate the, the world's economy and put it into a communist camp. And, well, and that is their platform. Yeah, no. Well, there's really that's a distinction without a difference, really. The difference oh, really, yeah. Trotskyites and, and Stalinists uh, is that one had power and one didn't. And, right. uh, and, and it, was a Trotsky was a threat to Stalin, so Stalin had him killed. But you know, there's so, there's, so I, I want to correct you on one thing. There's no Mensheviks. You know, the the Frankfurt School was inspired. No, that's very true. Was inspired true. by the Bolsheviks, and all of the professors that started at the Frankfurt School, with perhaps the exception of one, were hardcore Bolshevik communists yes and the frankfurt school's stated purpose was to destroy western civilization i mean that was their purpose and they created critical theory uh following marx's admonition to uh engage in a ruthless consider uh criticism of everything existing in the west and the whole purpose was to discredit and destroy the west corrupt its culture and uh, make it prime it for takeover by the Soviets at some point. Um, and you let know, me, let me that, ask you this. Yeah. Um, so I said all of that to say this. I agree with and everything you said. Sorry, I, me, I think I think Menshevism was basically just a platform to infiltrate, but they were all basically Bolsheviks. Um, what was a platform? The Menshevik platform. I think it was just because those people kind of dispersed into the wind and, and became internationalists, but they were all ultimately a lot of them were just agents of Bolshevism in the first place. Well, um, Trotsky, Trotsky wasn't a Menshevik. No, Trotsky was no. A Bolshevik. Yeah, he was a Bolshevik hardcore. Um, but, I, I said all of that is to, to ask you this question, which is was more contemporary for sure. Okay. Um, so you've got these useful idiots in the squad and a few others out there. Uh, you've got Feinstein, Pelosi, Sanders. They're going to be taking a back seat or just resigning in the future. Um, you know, the squad I feel is a threat because they're they're kind of the the front men for a really terrible agenda. Who are the people that we should be watching now? Ignatiev's dead now. Um, there are shadowy figures. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There are shadowy figures all in in the uh, background. Pulling these people's strings, uh, who are they, and how could somebody find out or, 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 you know, gain the resources or capabilities to investigate these people and expose them? Well, that's kind of what we're confronting with the deep state. Um, yeah. First of all, I want to say one thing. You know, Ignatiev was a member of the most hardcore left communist party in the United States. He was a member of the Provisional Organizing Committee of the Communist Party USA, which was the most far left Stalinist organization that supported Stalin even after the secret speech revealed that he had killed, you know, millions. And uh, his, his big contribution, if you want to call it that, was white privilege. He's the one yes. who coined that he phrase. Coined that. And, and he's the one who uh, basically mainstreamed the idea that uh, the United States was uh, a country besotten with right, white supremacists, you know, and it's 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 sick. But that trouble is that that's uh, infiltrated into our into our culture, into our high schools, into our colleges, and now it's become a, a meme. But um, here's the way it works. 
it's 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 the dialectic the squad and organizations like antifa put out the absolute most extreme lunacy and they get away with it because everybody just oh they're a bunch of extremist lunatics but then what they do is they set a placeholder for other people to come in and say well you know they're maybe a little bit too far off but you know we ought to do something with the green new deal yeah they just but- shift the overton window Exactly. And that's the whole purpose. It's a negotiating strategy that puts the lunatic left out in front. And then when the rest come in to propose what they really want, it doesn't, people breathe a sigh of relief because it's not nearly as extreme. But if they had proposed that in the first place, you would say, are you out of your mind? Because what they propose is every bit as crazy as what the AOSA squad and Antifa are doing. It's just that by contrast, it appears uh, less unacceptable. And I've always said, you know, there's just no negotiating with the left. Everything that they want to do is destructive, whether it's a little bit destructive or a lot destructive, it is all destructive and it all just needs to be rejected out of hand. Nobody should be listening to a word that the left says because their entire goal is to chip away at our foundations until this nation collapses on its own weight. A lot of this sounds like that in numerous different ways. Uh too many to to go into here. But they've almost done it now. I mean that's true. The goal is almost accomplished right now. A couple of missteps now and the country's over. Yes, I mean, we're we're literally hanging by a thread right now. We are. And that's why 2020 is so critical. And that reminds me, I would be remiss as a candidate if I didn't make a pitch for my campaign for your listeners to go over here and hit that big red donate button and donate to my campaign, because the only way I'm going to I'm going to win this is with enough money to defeat my opponent. And he has over a million dollars in the bank. And so it's going to be a tall order, but we can do it this year with enough support. So I urge people watching to support my campaign. If you want somebody in Congress who's going to be a Louis Gohmert, who's going to be a Steve King, who's going to be somebody who stands up for our rights and who's not going to compromise, uh, then you should hit that donate button for me. And, you know, if you have a thousand listeners and each of them gave 20 bucks, that's $20,000. That's huge. That would win. I'd I'd like to say this for you. There there is probably uh, nobody that I've talked to in my life that knows problems that we face and what we're up against and what the deep state actually is, who organized it, who was behind it, and the history uh, and the infiltration uh, yeah. that, they per- that, that they perpetrated on this country. There's, there's 
probably no better person to talk to about that than you. I've, I've never had a better conversation about that in my life than when uh, you and I sat in my in my parents' house and, and, and talked about that in depth. Well, thank you. Uh, I've never heard it. You're welcome. I've never heard any of that. I've, I've been in uh, in and around politics my whole life, and I have not ever once heard a politician speak on any of that. And, and those most of those people had an R in front of their name, and they and they know nothing of that. A lot of this reminds me of the conversation that that's been going around a little bit over the narrative that talks about infiltration versus invasion. And you have a blog article on your on your website, jimsimpsonforcongress.com, and it talks about China's secret speech. And if you can go into that a little bit, but a little bit of background on that is there's some suggestive intel that's coming out that says China is starting to infiltrate or has already infiltrated our news media has infiltrated our school systems, has infiltrated our chat rooms, and they're the ones who are putting out the propaganda and essentially creating these false flag narratives of the Wuhan virus did not come out of a laboratory. Can you expand on on the, the secret speech? Sure, well, they have the, on college campuses now, they have the Confucius centers, which are mainline communist Chinese propaganda and uh, fortunately, you know, we have so many things to be grateful President Trump about because no other president would have done this. He recognized, uh, with help from people, some of whom I know, uh, who alerted him, who alerted to the administration to the danger of these Com- Confucius centers. And now they're being thrown off of campus. They're being thrown off of many campuses. Uh, they're still in place in many, but they've been thrown off uh, systematically. They're um, intelligence fusion centers, that's all they are. That's right. And, and they look for, they look to recruit Americans and they look to uh, uh, infiltrate uh, communist propaganda onto the college campuses. And of course, yes, we've seen uh, the uh, uh, Chinese people posing as independent journalists that just happen to be uh, from a Chinese Chinese, uh, news organization that if you dig into it, you find out it's a wholly owned subsidiary of the Chinese Communist Party. You know, uh, that's been obvious uh, since Trump has basically pointed it out when these people ask him questions in his daily briefings. But those organizations and many like them have been around for a very long time. And if you wanna read something that pulls the blanket on all of the things that the communist Chinese are doing, I urge your viewers to uh, read Epic Times, because Epic Times is the largest Chinese newspaper outside of communist China, and it's run by the Falun Gong. And the Falun Gong, you know, they are, stridently anti-communist. Falun Gong members in China are political prisoners who get their um, organs harvested for sale. I mean, these people have suffered enormous oppression under the communist Chinese. And that is, I think it's one of the best newspapers, if not the best newspaper you can buy today, because it really puts out extremely solid news. I've, I used to write for it. I haven't been able to write for it recently. My friend Trevor Loudon writes for it regularly and other people with our perspective on things 
write for it. Uh, it's a very anti-communist newspaper, and it tells the truth about what the Communist Party is all about. And um, uh, <clears throat> with that in mind, this post that I have here on the screen, China's Secret Speech, A Pandemic Plan to Murder 200 Million Americans. This is a speech given by a Chinese general, Qi Hoshan, to the top level, the Politburo members, the top levels of the Communist Chinese Party in 2002 or thereabouts. We don't really know exactly when it was given. But let me just give you a few quotes about what he says and consider it along with what's going on today. The current COVID-19 uh, virus was manufactured in Wuhan's biosafety level four laboratory. It, you know, the Trump administration is starting to say, we think it was, uh, people are saying was, uh, but the truth is that virtually every single intelligence agency in the United States came to that conclusion a long time ago. We are supported by Aerial Digital. Aerial Digital is a full-service digital marketing agency that specializes in custom-designed websites for small to medium-sized businesses. Whether you need a simple one-page bootstrap website or you're ready to start selling your products online with an e-commerce website, Aerial Digital is equipped to help your business. Go to aerialdigitalmarketing.com slash newnormal. That's A-R-I-E-L digitalmarketing.com slash new normal and save 20% on your custom website today. There are no bats in the Wuhan wet market. It was a fish market, didn't have bats, and those bats aren't from that area. But the original <clears throat> coronavirus did come from a bat in a far off place, but then it was manipulated to have the characteristics that allowed it to uh, adopt a human host. Because, Just like SARS. Yes, exactly. Well, it's a form of SARS. Right. Yeah, it's it's a new form of SARS. In fact, the 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 actual uh, official name is SARS uh, SARS Cove two or something like that. Yep. But anyway, it was manufactured in Wuhan's bio level safety four laboratory, and you have to understand something about the Communist Party or communist governments anywhere. Anything that they make, anything they produce has at the very least dual use purposes. So if they have a laboratory where they're conducting uh, research on viruses, it may be for medical purposes, but it doubles as a bioweapons lab. It's like the Kultsevo lab in the Soviet Union. It was always for vaccine research and they were making weapons there. Exactly. They yeah. don't do anything just for uh, the benefit of their people because they've already shown how little they care about their people, having murdered 70 million of them. Um, so, uh, and their, their main focus is always offensive military strategy. And it may not be apparent to all of us, but they're always working on it. 
So anyway, um, here's a few of the things that he talks about. First of all, he mentions that China has a huge and growing population and it's outgrowing its boundaries of uh, China. And so they are looking for a place to resettle, kind of like you know the aliens coming from out of space, they overpopulated their planet. Now they're gonna invade and cultivate and uh, take over the, United, the, the world. Uh, this is exactly what the Chinese are planning. And it's interesting because if you read his speech, it has a lot of very nationalist tones. Uh, really even sounds like a Nazi Germany, pre-war Nazi Germany, talking about how they are justified, uh, how the yellow skin is better than all the others, how in history they've had the greatest civilizations, and they even claim to have been the original discoverers of America. So it's actually theirs, that's what they say. And so uh, they need to throw out the invaders. They need to throw out the invaders and and take back what was theirs. But here's the the issue. Okay, they say, you know, uh, in the past there weren't weapons that would allow you to wipe out a population if you if you attacked a another country. You know, even with machine guns, you couldn't wipe out an entire population. You basically just had to come in and supervise, take them over, oppress them, use, put them in slavery, but, but you couldn't kill them all. There were just too darn many of them. However, and this is what he says, if we, and here he says, I'm gonna highlight it. If we conquered America in this fashion, we would not be able to make many people migrate there. Here's where he talks about conventional weapons such as fighters, cannons, Battleships won't do it. Neither will highly destructive weapons such as nuclear weapons. We're not foolish as to want to perish together with America by using nuclear weapons. Now, here. Only Let me ask you this, Jim. Huh? Let me ask you this, Jim. And and yeah. and this this ties in perfectly with what you're talking about. Yeah. So in a, pre, a couple of previous episodes, actually, I think we've mentioned fourth gen warfare in almost every episode. Sure. Um, this to me seems like. Um, a, 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 you know, I'm pretty sure it did come from the lab at this point, and we've talked about that from the beginning. Oh, I, I've stayed very objective did. on the matter, uh, but the, the, as the facts have continued to come out, it, it seems more and more likely. So this is a pretty much a clear cut um, example of fourth gen warfare because it leaves a lot of plausible deniability on the Chinese. There's very little fingerprints on it, other than you know, there's a virus that came from the region, but they could say, oh, it naturally mutated. And to me, fourth gen warfare is potentially one of the scariest and most destructive forms of war that will be wrought, you know, on on people in the 21st century. And people have asked me to what ends, what gain would China have from attacking us in a fourth generation way? And I have various answers for that, but I would really like to get your take on that. What is the end goal? Okay, so here it is. Only by using non-destructive weapons that can kill many people will we be able to reserve America for ourselves. There has been a rapid development of modern biological technology and new bioweapons have been invented one after the other. Of course, we have not been idle. In the past years, we have seized the opportunity to master weapons of this kind. We are capable. We are capable of achieving our purpose of cleaning up America 
all of a sudden, biological weapons are unprecedented in their ruthlessness. But if the Americans do not die, then Chinese have to die. He was admitting that they had advanced bioweapons in 2002. Now look what he says here. It is indeed brutal to kill one or 200 million Americans, but that is the only path that will secure a Chinese century in which the Chinese Communist Party leads the world. How Stalinist of them. You kill a few people, you're a filthy murderer, you kill millions, and it's just a just number a that you can justify. Yeah. Yeah. Let me ask you this, Jim. You, I, I want you to go to Congress. I want you to get elected really bad, you know, and I think a lot of people in your area probably do. What are you going to do in Congress to hold the Chinese accountable? How do we decouple ourselves from China? And how do you organize a group in Congress to make sure that we have accountability on the world stage and that China is no longer a threat to our manufacturing and to our way of life? Well, I hope to join for First of all, first things first, I hope to join the Freedom Caucus. Uh, they're the most effective group in the Congress. Uh, I hope and pray that we can obtain, uh, retake a majority in the House and keep a majority in the Senate. Uh, if that doesn't happen, the best that we're going to be able to do is make a lot of noise. And I will make a lot of noise. You can be sure about that. I know that. But, but <laughs> and that's a compliment. Thank you. But. Uh, but if we have the ability, and of course, I'll do everything I can to partner with the Trump administration in uh, pushing for those changes. Uh, and I think a lot of that's at least under consideration. Everybody knows now, I didn't know this, that China manufactured 95% of our drugs. I, I did not know that. I mean, I we thought don't I manufacture knew a lot about any penicillin in this country, not a, yeah. not a shred of penicillin. Yeah. And, and, and I thought I knew a lot about what we had exported to China. I did not know anything about that. And it, it, it points to the fact that there has been this conspiracy of silence among big business in the United States and uh, the communist Chinese. And the big businesses, of course, are totally self-interested. They're looking at the profit motive. They can make the same things that they make here much cheaper in China using what is essentially slave labor. And if nobody says anything about it, they're just going to keep on doing it. And so we, in this certain sense, this is a blessing in disguise because uh, we are learning just how much we have given up to the communist Chinese. Now, I always knew we had transferred much of our manufacturing base over there for the uh, temporary expedient of getting low-wage labor to produce uh, trinkets and stuff that you buy at Walmart. Um, but what did we really give up? We gave up our manufacturing base, but that's not the only thing we gave up. We, we gave up uh, the products that, of course, the Chinese knock off and compete with us for cheap. So, so the companies that sent their stuff over there, now they face uh, communist Chinese knockoffs that are that are ruining their market share. We gave them the markets, we gave them the distribution networks, and we gave them the marketing methods, and we gave them the manufacturing methods, which before we came along, they could not put together an assembly line. They were that inept. Same thing is problem with the Soviet Union. And, and that is why for so many decades, 
All of those things were uh, subject to review by the Commerce Department, and the Commerce Department uh, <laughs> would refuse to um, send those products over to the communist nations. I mean, when I was working for the Office of Management and Budget, it was illegal for a company here to sell a personal computer to the Soviet Union. You, the Soviets couldn't buy it. And I actually stumbled in to a uh, smuggling operation when I went to my eye doctor. It was a, a, a GRU, uh, one of the, the GRU uh, representative uh, from the uh, Soviet embassy in the basement, uh, loading up a whole bunch of boxes of um, personal computers into his uh, embassy car with his embassy plates on it. And that's how we identified it. I called the FBI and told them about it. And they identified the guy. You're lucky you agent. lived through that. Huh? You're lucky you lived through that. Well, it, it was very interesting. And he was keeping a low profile. I followed him and he did a clearing turn so that I wouldn't keep following him. But it was very interesting um, because it was the first time I saw, I looked at the embassy plates and I forget what the numbers were, but you know, all embassy plates have a three letter designation, which tells you which country uh, the, the, the embassy is from, right? And the Soviet plates for the Soviet uh, embassy were DFC. And me and my irreverent sense of humor, I thought, oh, D-effing communists. <laughs> <laughs> and then I looked it up and found out that that was exactly what some wise ass in the State Department chose for their place <laughs> for the same reason. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's awesome. <laughs> D-F-C, D-effing commies. <laughs> so let me ask you this, Jim. You know, we've talked about how we, you, Sal and I have really spitballed to try to figure out what would the ends be for China. And we thought, you know, there has been a lot of interaction between the U.S. government lately and big business, big box and big tech. And they have really crushed the small uh, American uh, storefront, the main, you know, Main Street. And they have eaten up a ton of market share and that's going to be permanent. And it's this is a really a consolidation, it seems like, for our consumer serfdom to China and to big tech, big box. But it almost seems to me that, you know, if they wanted to do that, there there were other ways to do that. And so what, what it sounds like you're saying is this is potentially in-game scenario for China and they are about to make some very serious geopolitical moves. Uh, on the world stage and potentially threaten our, right now we have, you know, the Bretton Woods hegemony. We kind of operate under that umbrella, but, but that's really become a thorn in the side of China in particular and what they want to do in the South China Sea and Southeast Asia. We've really gotten in the way of that. So is this potentially a way to remove us to allow them to assume dominance in that hemisphere and that theater? Well, no, actually, I think it's it's worked in the opposite direction. You know, they were uh, assuming dominance. You know, they're building islands. They're building man-made islands. Mm -hmm. They're taking over properties in the uh, you know in the Pacific, the South China Sea. 
Um, this woke everybody up to what they were doing. Everybody now looks at China and it's a holy cow come to Jesus moment, move a uh, minute about exactly what they're doing. Now, I'll tell you, <clears throat> I believe, you know, this secret speech was a speech where he laid out the long-term strategy of communist China. And at the time, they were looking about at about 2020 to make the attack, actually. And that was back in the early aughts. We know this was a, was a manipulated uh, virus because it came out of the biosafety level four lab. And the reason we know that is because the, the Chinese doctor working on it caught it and he alerted the world and then he died. He died of the disease, but he alerted to the world first. That was a very brave thing he did. And all the other, the, the other ones which subsequently came out and started talking about it. And the communist Chinese shut them down almost immediately. The they genetic information from the virus initially, it's believed that they seized and probably destroyed and then handed us some sort of doctored or, or whitewashed yeah, sure. version of the it, genetic but there's information. There's no doubt about it. There's no doubt about it. This yeah. was a, a biological. Well, that would, that would, that what I'm, what I'm saying would basically confirm that. I mean, why would you have a reason to take the original genetic study done on that virus and, and get rid of it and present right. the world with some sort of, right. you know, it, it, it's obvious that the virus was, is worse than what we were told initially and that they lied from the beginning. So they could not only suck up PPE, but kind of pull the wool over our eyes. Right. And so, it, it, you know, th that, the theory that it came out of the lab is almost solidified by every single thing they have done since the virus has come about. Well, so it was. And then the question is, was it a, a, a deliberate release or a accidental release? There's a number of things that bio that bio lab has been cited multiple times for its shoddy um, safety pr pr procedures. The communists, generally speaking, they're good at one thing. They're good at killing people. They're good at subverting things, but they're absolutely awful about managing things. And so my belief is that it was a mistaken release. And then when they saw what had happened, they panicked. They shut down that area of China to contain it. And then they didn't tell the rest of us, they didn't um, stop international flights because they didn't want everybody else to find out. They were doing a classic communist cover your ass movement where every, they, they shut down everything, they silence everybody. I mean, they nailed people into their apartments so they couldn't get out. People starved to death in their own apartments. Uh, rather than being allowed out to get food, it's insane. <clears throat> but this is tragic it, stories. It was tragic stories. But the, but this is uh, this is classic communist uh, misdirection, CYA movement. Because the one thing communists can't stand is being revealed to be incompetent, stupid or making big mistakes, because the whole narrative of the new communist man is that he's a perfect man, right? 
The new communist man cannot make mistakes. And they rely on that agenda, that narrative, even though they all know it's ridiculously false. Um, but it's part of their whole uh, propaganda, part of their whole uh, marketing strategy, right? And so it was, and they just struggled, they flailed and struggled to contain the whole thing, but they sure weren't going to tell everybody else, you know, let the cat out of the bag by, by shutting down all international flights and saying, oh, you better be careful because, oh, guess what? One of the bioweapons that we've been illegally working on just escaped, you know? If they had done it on purpose, we wouldn't have known about it until it was much further along. If they had done it purpose, they would not have had the outbreak in China, and we would be dying on a massive scale before anybody ever figured out what was actually happening, because they're much stealthier, they're much more deadly than that. And that's, that's, that's why I think it was a mistake. If it had been done on purpose, they would have done it much more effectively and we would really be reeling. Uh, I don't know if that, uh, you know, I don't think that um, that virus was actually finished, you know? Uh, it, it could have been made more virulent, although- but It's Lopez, already very strange. It has a very unusual incubation period it, that makes it yeah. very contagious. Yeah, and, so and just, it, just that in itself is is dangerous, and it could it could naturally select for a more deadly strain of the pathogen because it has plenty of time to replicate before it kills you. The virus it, just kind of naturally along that path would select potentially for a more and more deadly strain. Right, and we're discovering new things about it, like it's causing blood clots and things like that. Um, so we really don't know ultimately what the result of this is. I do know. <clears throat> Claire Lopez, my friend from uh, Center for Security Policy, uh, you know, is a lifelong CIA agent. She's also a bioweapons expert. She says, interestingly, you know, you can choose to make a, uh, a bioweapon that is very virulent, like, say, Ebola, or you can choose to make one that's very contagious, like COVID, but you can't do both. Um, right. The more contagious it is, the less virulent it's going to be, and vice versa. I always thought that was interesting, and I never knew that. Um, but that's what makes this virus such an anomaly. Yeah. Well, it, because it, it, it is actually, if left unmitigated, it's about a hundred times more deadly than the flu. And we've done a pretty good job. Well, of we don't know it. that. No, we don't know that. that. No, because now they're finding that the level, the 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 contagion, it's much more contagious. It's more like 24 feet, uh, if you're within 24 feet, you can catch it rather than six feet. And, but for most people, that's it's crazy. And so, you know, they've found that it's many, many, many times uh, more prevalent in the population than they originally thought, which is going to reduce the, um, the fatality rate to one-tenth of what we're seeing now. I mean, we're seeing 5% now or more, and that is deadly. Um, but if you take into account all the people who have gotten it, but who are um, asymptomatic, you're looking at a, um, a fatality rate of 0.5 or even as low as 0.1%. And we'll know better when we have more testing, but that's what it's looking like. It's not looking like 
It is. So you believe it's it's a lot more widespread than we. It's a lot more widespread when you know if you get it and if you're vulnerable, it's it's a really nasty disease. And like I say, we still don't know everything about it, but um, and and it may turn out to be more deadly you know we don't know what's going to happen next year well there's so many different strains at this point i think they were dealing with upward of 20 different strains so i don't know if we have i I don't you know one one could be extremely deadly and not quite as widespread and we could have one that's quite widespread and not as deadly out there we we just don't know enough at this point unfortunately yeah yeah now this i chose this image here of the 19th CPC National Congress for a very specific reason. This is uh, Xi, Xi Jinping speaking, right, to the Communist Party in China. And what do you notice about that um, bit picture that seems kind of incongruous? Well, you got the sickle and, sickle and hammer, and, as opposed to the. the what do you? What would you expect CPC. to see back there? The China, the, the CPC star, probably or you Mao, a, a portion of see, Chairman Mao. You would expect to see the communist Chinese flag, maybe a port, uh, portrait of Mao, but definitely Chinese communist flag. Symbolism mm. is everything to the communists. This oh, yeah. symbolism tells us that they still take their orders from the Soviet Union. How do you like that? They are still subservient to the Russians and the Russians are still the Soviet Union. The Soviet Union never fell. That was a false flag operation. As we start to close off and and we're getting to the top of an hour and I know your time is very sensitive and we appreciate you taking the time to be with us. Thanks. I've got. I've got two questions. One is a a little dire straits. And then the other one is to lend some hope to our listeners, right? So the new normal for, for what we've tried to position it is getting people in the mindset to change their perception of what the new normal looks like. Meaning after the shoe bomber, we had to take off our shoes. After 9-11, we had TSA everywhere. And that was just the new normal that people had to get used to. So we want people to understand that the new normal for us is being prepared, being more informed, looking at philosophy and history and being better educated so that they can actually make informed decisions and not be spoon fed through the media. Hmm. So my two questions, Hmm. what scares you the most in 2020? And what are you most hopeful for in the converse of, of what you're afraid of? The thing that worries me most is that this election will not go our way. And the thing that worries me about that is the aggressive efforts by the Democrat Party to rig the election for vote fraud. You know, they wanted to get, well, they got $400 million in the first big stimulus bill to uh, send out to the states for elections. But they, what they wanted was a laundry list of federalizing the elections, turning the elections all into vote by mail, uh, same day registration, uh, registration with no um, uh, identification, every single thing that they could consider to rig the system for massive vote fraud, which we know we already know they're very good at. And so that 
worries me a lot because even though they didn't get those specific provisions put into law, they got $400 million to send out to the states to use for whatever the states want to help them in the November elections. And I guarantee you the Democrat states will use that to facilitate vote by mail. And maybe the Republican states will be stupid enough to do that too. And if that's the case, that is really a major uh, risk to our election. And I firmly believe that this is election is the one that's going to make or break us. And so those are the apprehensions I have about this year, our upcoming election. Uh, this whole COVID crisis has fallen right into their uh, hands, you know, never let a good crisis go to waste. And they are certainly not doing that. They're using every lever that they can to extend this as long as they can to crash the economy, uh, to make sure that this becomes a vehicle for them to destroy the presidential uh, prospects for uh, 2020 for President Trump. And they don't, it doesn't matter who they get in. They can get addled Joe in there and it will be a network of communists working the White House, just like it was under President Obama, while President Obama uh, spent his time with his boyfriend, uh, Reggie Love, and whatever other, uh, you know, distractions that turned him on. Uh, th th this is, this is frightening. And, and that has me gravely concerned. And we really need to um, up our game. And I hope to God, I pray to God that the Republicans wise up and make sure that this, to the extent that they can, that this is an honest election. Now, on the good side, President Trump has actually done, you know, an amazing job under the circumstances and is not perfect. You couldn't imagine perfection in a situation like this, but he's done as well as he could. And we are all chomping at the bit to get back to work, to get out. And, you know, all of the various protests around the country, everybody was, nobody was social distancing. And I was very happy about that. I, I don't feel the need to social distance. If I'm going to get it 24 feet away, staying six feet away from other people. Gonna yeah, it's nothing. It's a joke. And, um, and besides, we are going to have to face this thing sooner or later, regardless, because we are all going to have to go out. We are all going to have to go back to work. We are all going to have to commingle sooner or later. Social distancing is not going to be the new norm. It cannot be the new norm and have us function at all. It, it just can't. Our economy can't run uh, with those kinds of restrictions. And so sooner or later, and most of the Americans are chomping at the bit. They're sick of this. And we're all ready to just go out and go back to work and get things back to normal. And that's what I would like to see. If you guys were right there, I'd shake both your hands right now. I wouldn't give a damn what anybody thinks about that. And, you know, if I get it, well, heck, and I get it. Tough luck, you know, but um, it, it's we're going to have to face it. And so I have a lot of faith, actually. The American people are getting wise to this and they're getting out there and 
we're going to have to open up soon because people are just they're 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 just um, not going to abide by it anymore, and they're already showing that. Well, the and longer so, we stay inside, the more immune compromised we become by not being exposed to, and, to certain absolutely, things. Absolutely, absolutely, it's all counterproductive. So we need to get out there. We need to get back to work, and I think it's going to happen. Well, of course, it's going to happen in stages, depending upon what person is leading the state. Uh, but things are getting better. This crisis, as I said earlier, uh, has a silver lining. That is, it, it's forced us to stop. It's forced us to reset. It's forced us to consider how fortunate we are to live in a country like the United States of America. It's forced us to see how vulnerable we are, that we can't just be lackadaisical and careless anymore. And I think that message has resonated with the American people. And I believe, you know, God brought us to this so that we could see ourselves, so that we could see things clearly. Um, you know, this has happened throughout history. And then there's a revitalization. and. I hope there's a revitalization, and I ho also hope that we as a nation move back to God, because ultimately, that's where we have to have our strength. Uh, the, the, the evil people on the face of the earth, the, the communists, these are people that are bottomlessly evil, and we need strength beyond our own to defeat them. I mean, this is a battle against powers and principalities, as they say in the Bible. And uh, we need the strength. We need God's strength, God's forgiveness for our wandering so far uh, from what he gave us with this Christian nation that was born of the brilliant founders who all understood um, where our rights came from, and how our government should be there to protect those rights, not to limit those rights. And so uh, this has been a, a good opportunity. Uh, we should not let this crisis go to waste. We should use it to reset ourselves and rededicate ourselves to this great American experiment. And I think if we all do that, we're all going to come out fine. This economy will recover. This economy will spring back as soon as our governors allow it to. It will spring. It'll come roaring back as soon as they allow it to. And a friend of mine uh, who was a big Trump supporter in 2016 said, Jim, if uh, we come out of this looking good and the Trump and President Trump comes out of it looking good, he will sweep the election in November and bring people like you along with him. And I think that's true. Uh, I think that's true. And so though that's my hopeful, <laughs> that's the hopeful side. Uh, and uh, so We've I We've said it a number of times on the show that th there's definitely the American Renaissance that's yeah. the potential to come out of this, that we yes, have the no. ability as entrepreneurs, as business leaders, as, hopeful excuse me uh, congressional candidates to revitalize and run leaner 
run more efficiently, look at our finances a little bit differently, look at how, how we are sourcing our, our food, how we're sourcing our products, why we are outsourcing so much in America. Why do we not manufacture our own? This has definitely brought up a lot of questions and and you brought up uh, the fact that we're, we're given this opportunity. We're being sent to our rooms and we get nothing to do except learn and hopefully learn from, from, from our mistakes. Jim, tell the audience where they can find you. Where do, where would you like to send them? Well, once again, you can go to uh, Simpsonforcongress.com right here. If you're in the position to do so, the first thing you should do is hit that donate button. And, uh, and I really mean this. This is a national election. Every uh, election matters. And if you believe in our Constitution, you believe in our form of government, and you would like to see it restored to the constitutional republic it was born to be, and the freedom uh, that it provides, then you want me for in, in, in Congress, because I will be serving all Americans, not merely uh, Americans in, in uh, Maryland. Uh, go check out my endorsements. Did I bring that up before? Yeah. I have a number of endorsements, number of great endorsements. Go to my blog. Read some of the articles there. Uh, We had this great webinar, great webinar, Sheriff Richard Mack, Sheriff uh, Chuck Jenkins, Claire Lopez, Benjamin Newsma, the guy who created the tool for reopening economies, and Mike Elmore, who is a Wyoming rancher, who tells, talks about the threat to the media, to, to the food supply that's happened as a result of this shutdown. It's a really serious threat. And so all these things are, uh, well, hopefully uh, will help decision makers to come to the conclusion that we have to reopen now. And uh, please go, you can go to my Facebook page, go to my Twitter, but most important one is, is right here. And uh, you can find out all about me, you can find out all these other things. And uh, with that, I'll say thank you very much, Sal. We appreciate you coming in so much. We've gotten a lot of, we've gotten so much information, a history lesson, uh, an economics lesson. I hope our viewers and our, and our listeners will join us in going to jimsimpsonforcongress.com. And as he mentioned, giving generously, giving as much as you can. Don't vote twice like the Democrats but at least vote once <laughs> if you have the capability of doing so for, for Mr. Jim Simpson. Yeah. Yeah. If, if you can, you, you've kind of done so in, in one way or another, but I'd love to close out the episode with you giving a 30-second campaign pitch as to why folks in your area should be voting for you. Once again, I raised my children here. I want to stay here for the rest of my life. The Democrats are destroying this state. I love the state. I want this state to realize its potential, all of which is being subverted and undermined by the way the Democrats run things. I'm the most qualified candidate in, in this race uh, by far uh, of anybody, and that includes the incumbent Democrat. I've studied these issues for, well, ever since 
grad school in the mid 1980s. And so I'm intimately familiar with the problems. I have a lifelong dedication to trying to solve these problems. And I've dedicated my life to that. And I will dedicate, continue to dedicate my life to that in a much more effective way as your member of Congress. I ask for your vote and I hope to see you and I hope to be your next congressman from Maryland's District 2. Jim, thank you so much for joining us again. You are a true friend of the show. We appreciate you. We hope to have you back on as hopefully a victory episode where we can celebrate with you uh, getting getting the Congress uh, seat. Thanks for inviting me, Sal, Quentin. Great to be with you guys. It's been a pleasure as always. Yeah. Once again, have a good night. Thank you, Jim. Once again, if you are interested, head over to jimsimpsonforcongress.com. You can check out the articles that Jim has been writing. All of the articles that he has mentioned today will be in our show notes. Again, you can find us on Google Podcasts, on iTunes, and you can find us on Spotify. Head over to thenewnormalpod.com where you can find out more about our show. Thank you so much for joining us. As always, stay safe and welcome to the new normal. Night, everybody. Great show. Thank you so much for, for joining us. Thank you.